This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. She'll lift you up and empower you to help your child and your family thrive. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. I'm thrilled today to have Elizabeth Hamblett with us, and we're going to talk a bit about college for kids with ADHD and learning disabilities, college accommodations, and really just separating fact from fiction. Thanks so much for being here, Elizabeth. Will you start by introducing yourself to the audience, who you are and what you do? Sure. Thank you, Penny. And I'm delighted to be here. Um, My name is Elizabeth Hamlet and um, part-time I am a learning specialist in the Disability Services Office at Columbia University in New York. Um, And when I'm not there working one-on-one with students, then I am writing and giving presentations all over the country on how to prepare students with LD and ADHD for successful college transition. Such an important topic. So I think we don't, um, as parents, we don't quite understand the nuances there. And sometimes we get really stuck on our traditional expectations of what success looks like. And Mm. so I'm really excited to have this conversation and really share it with parents. I think it's super important. And and I would say for those parents listening who have younger kids, the earlier you know this stuff, the better. (laughs) The more prepared and properly prepared you will have your child when they are looking at the end of high school and what they're doing next. So um, I encourage parents of all ages of kids with ADHD and learning disabilities to really listen to this conversation. Why don't we start, I think, with what, let's start by talking about who is college right for, when, how do we determine when college is right for our child, if it is, what kind of alternatives there might be. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really a good place to start the conversation and then move into what it looks like when they're transitioning to college and managing at college. Sure. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that's really important to keep in mind is the answer really is different for every child. And it is hard to, to, to keep that in the front of your mind, um, especially in a lot of, you know, a lot of these communities we all live in. It's, it, it, the quote, I always put up air quotes when I say, well, you know, in our town, everybody goes to college. Well, first of all, that's just literally not true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> secondly, everybody is not the same person. And so, you know, look, there are plenty of typical kids who don't have learning and attention issues who are going to go to college and they're not going to be successful for a variety of reasons. So, you know, Mm. rather than worrying so much about like, well, my child's at a disadvantage because of an LD or ADHD, that may be true, but there are plenty of kids who just aren't ready and nobody knows that until they go, you know, and they aren't successful. But, you know, trying to think realistically what are we looking at? I mean, I think, first of all, there needs to be a desire to go to college. I think mm-hmm. just sending somebody because that's what's expected is not going to be good for that student because, you know, it is a lot of hard work and it's a lot of self-management. And if you have no interest in doing it, then there's nothing magical. Um, you know, and, I, and Ray, 
Ray Jacobson, a writer with ADHD who writes for Child Mind Institute, had said this to me. I think she's written about it. There's nothing magical about going to college that suddenly makes a student interested and ready to be there. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes people think, well, if I just get her there, she's going to love it and she's going to turn it around. And right. I mean, I, I look, I, I believe it has to be true for some people. Maybe that is true. But it, it, I think that sending somebody just because you think it's time for her to go is, is not sending her a good message either about you know, whether you recognize what she's interested in. And I do think there's a lot of pressure on kids right now, like to find your passion, right? Yeah. And then you're going to go to college and you're going to study whatever that passion is. And that's just so much pressure on kids. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was 18 either. I did want to go to college. So, you know, as far as alternatives to it, I mean, obviously, what do you have? You have four-year college, which is going to be the right choice for some kids. If they have half an interest, I think you you can probably feel comfortable sending them. Mm -hmm. Um, Some students want to go, but they are not ready yet to self-manage. And, um, you know, Ray, again, speaks about how to get up for, you know, nobody was there to wake her up. Nobody made her go to class. You know, we are not coming through the dorms, knocking on doors saying, Hey, who's got a nine o'clock? Let's go folks. Um, You know, and for kids with ADHD, if you've got two classes back to back on your way to, you know, class number two, maybe somebody's playing hacky sack and then, you know, you're, you're off doing something else instead of going in a second. You're not locked in a building like in high school. And yeah. so for those students, maybe community college is a nice interim step where you're starting to get used to the demands. Um, maybe you're still living at home and getting some structure, but your parents are giving over more, um, responsibility to you. Yeah. You know, and then there are, there are more internship programs. Um, what's it in Massachusetts? The Inventive Labs, this guy, yes. um, Rick Fury. Is that how you say Yes, it's, um, re- oh gosh. Yeah. Fiery. Rick Fiery. Oh, it looks yes. like, yeah. So, talked to him a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. He's wonderful. So, you know, and obviously the trades are places, you know, if you get to be a master plumber, you can have a very nice life and you never have to write another essay if that's what you hate or take another test. So, you know, I think one of the things um, that is so important is to ask kids what their version of success is. Yes. Um, and I spoke at uh, the introduction to my book, um, Ward, Ward um, Neumeyer, who's now the retiring head of disability services at Dartmouth. I asked him that question. He really said, like, I don't, you know, what is success? And to me, success is doing a job you like and being able to take care of yourself. That is success. And mm-hmm. so whatever that is for you, that is the path. And I, you know, I'm a planner in a certain way. And I never remember if this is inductive or deductive reasoning, but I think you have to start with the goal and work backwards to how, what are the steps to get there? I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, you really have to ask yourself, what is that end goal? Right. Um, and, and especially as a parent of a kid with, challenges, learning challenges, Mm -hmm. ADHD, you know, who, who can totally get there, but maybe Mm -hmm. not by the same path. You Mm -hmm. have to say, okay, what is the end goal? And then what, what is required Mm -hmm. and what is the minutia that we can let go of? Um, What do we really not need? Yeah. And it's so freeing for the parents and for the kids too, you know, and I think that's really the first step, Mm -hmm. you know, throwing out that assumption that 
you have to get good grades in high school to get into college. You have to go to college to get a good career. And once you have that good career, you're going to be happy because you're going to be successful. I think that's so important. Yeah. And it's just not the trajectory for so many people. And and it's not a requirement. You can be successful and happy without ever going to college. It just depends on what you want. What is your goal? And so I think that's really, and I think it's especially important for younger kids, for parents of younger kids. You know, the earlier you stop trying to push them to fit that one mm-hmm. idea of a journey to success, the the less stress everybody's going to have. And the more I think, then the other opportunities start to reveal themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you have blinders on and your tunnel vision, you're going one path, this is all we can do. Right. Then you miss some opportunities that could be fantastic for kids who are different learners. Right. And again, I think the challenge is you're 18, you know, and all of a sudden at 18, we want people to decide the trajectory of their lives, you know, to figure mm-hmm. out what their goal is and to work single-mindedly toward that. And that's ridiculous. I mean, I wanted to be a college professor, um, you know, of English literature. And I have gone so far around, you know, in this crooked path to where I am now. And I love what I'm doing now. I didn't even know what I'm doing now existed when I finished college. So I think that we just have to get them to the first place. I mean, yes, there are kids who, who know what they want to do and they should be allowed to pursue those dreams. Because if you are motivated enough, you know what you want to do. Let's get you on the path. You might yeah. decide once you get into it that actually it's not what you want to do, but you're not going to know until you try. But I think, you know, the pressure on these kids these days to just like, you need to decide what you're going to do so you can go to the right college to get the right major and do, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, you know, on the other hand to it, you know, so I think pushing students to go to college if they're not showing an interest is definitely you know, something that has the potential to really backfire. Because when you send them someplace that they're not interested in going and they have to self-manage and do all of that stuff, if they are not successful, then we've just put them in a position they never needed to be in. And then they've had a negative experience that, you know, if they already have low self-esteem can just serve to reinforce that. Now I understand, you know, I can hear parents in my head saying, well, what is he going to do if he doesn't find an internship? You know, it's hard if you're not involved with a college and you can't get to inventive labs in Massachusetts, what are you going to do? So, you know, maybe a just, you know, a job, an everyday job until you figure it out, but you're not spending money on tuition. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. deciding whether you like, you know, just working in a store or working wherever you're working. Um, but you're not having the experience that's a huge amount of pressure um, where you have the potential to really fail and, and to, um, you know, then have that be another, you know, quiver, uh, uh, arrow in your quiver of, of things that you do your own self, you know, that you shoot your own self. Boy, I'm mixing up my metaphors today, but, um, <laughs> I think that's terrible. such an important point though. If we go ahead and send them because we think that's what they need to do yeah. and they really weren't ready, it's really going to impact their self-esteem. That's like, what worries you know? me. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it, um, God, the gift of failure was that Jessica, um, I forget her name. Um, there's a book out there about, you know, having your kids have failure experiences. But I know, look, the parents of, of kids with uh, ADHD and LD have already watched their kids have a bunch of frustrating experiences and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. not literal failures, but I understand 
um, you know, that they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to protect them. And that's exactly what a good parent does. Um, but I think, so that is a place where I think that's not a useful failure, you know, having them have the consequences of, of something they've done, natural consequences is one thing, but sending them to a place they're not ready for that they're not interested in. And then having a failure experience is not what we're talking about here. No, no. Um, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wanted to mention to you some other um, alternative kind of paths that I have seen. Um, Full Sail University in Florida Mm -hmm. is um, very tech and art heavy, Mm -hmm. um, but is not traditional for your, um, you know, you only take the classes in what you're studying. You're mm-hmm. not taking those additional English, writing, science, math, you know, the things that sometimes our kids struggle in, especially sure. if they're not interested in them. Right. Um, and, you know, my own son is really interested in music and a career in sound at this point. Um, mm-hmm. He started, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, he started to create his own digital music. And wow. was, and it was a super interest. He's held on to that interest for a couple of years now, you know, and before maybe a couple months was the longest we'd hold on, held on to an interest. And so we have started the conversation. Well, what could you do with this? You really right. like this. You want to spend your time doing it. How could you do that to support yourself? And um, the idea of becoming a sound engineer is what we've been talking about. And as I've Mm -hmm. looked at that, there are, you know, a couple dozen, at least in the United States alone, certification programs for that. Some of them are as little as six months, some are a couple of years, um, but definitely completely an alternative to that very traditional four-year university path. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, there's plenty of ways to think outside of that box and to find successes. And, you know, the other thing we, we see articles all the time now about how we really need people in the vocational trades, mm-hmm. welding and plumbing and, and there's good money to be made in that. Um, Absolutely. And- welding especially, but you know, the, and it's a hands-on active thing, which could be better for ADHD and, you know, there's so many other options that we tend to just push aside because we think that traditional four-year college is the only path to success. Absolutely. And I think, look, you know, there are some people for whom, you know, the jobs that we identify with success, which involve sitting in an office and dressing a certain way and, mm-hmm. you know, being in front of a computer, especially for, you know, people with hyperactive ADHD, that is probably not going to be great for them. That's torture. Um, yeah. And so why, why are we trying to fit these, you know, these square pegs into round holes? There's another terrible metaphor that's mm-hmm. been horribly overused, but I think, you know, it, it is, it has to come down to what the kids want to do because that's the only thing that's going to motivate them. Um, yeah. And one of the things too, when we talk about non-traditional paths, and I started by talking about community colleges, you know, look, community colleges can be ends in and of themselves. A two-year degree um, in a career field that interests you is maybe all you need. Don't assume that a four-year uh degree is required but also you know if their their goal is someplace you know more traditional and they're just not ready yet community college is a launching pad and here in new jersey i forget that there's a name for the kind of agreement where if you earn your aa you can you get automatic transfer to any of the state schools here yeah Um, 
and there's a the word for that, but I, it, it escapes me. Um, but the other thing is, like, there are schools like mine. So Columbia University has what's called the College of um, General Studies, and it's for non-traditional students. And that ranges everywhere from, you know, sort of traditional aged, let's say, juniors um, who've done two years at community college successfully uh, to we uh, have a lot of veterans um, who come to us after serving mm. in the military. Um, we have people who started college, you know, 30 years ago at a traditional time, weren't ready, went to work doing things and then, you know, come come back and do really well. So there are um, the statistics and I don't have them, you know, at my fingertips, but we always think of college, well, I shouldn't say we, um, a lot of us think of college as a place where 18 to 20 year, 22 year olds go, but yeah. that's not representative of who's actually enrolled at college. Yeah. I think that's such a bigger variety now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to keep our minds open. So while we're talking about what happens, you know, for students who maybe aren't showing interest and readiness, um, I also want to say, on the other hand, for parents who are concerned about it, um, college can be a really appropriate place for your students with LD and ADHD. And so, mm-hmm. you know, don't hold them back just out of your fear, like, well, I hear this terrible, you know, these terrible statistics about, you know, how they do there. Um, it, again, it varies from person to person, but there's a lot you can do to get them ready. And, you know, a lot of 18-year-olds are not <clears throat> fully mature and realized adults as we yes. of them. Um, and that's no different for our students with LD and ADHD. But, you know, if your kid is in high school and is pretty self-sufficient, you know, could, could, could microwave a meal if you're not going to be home for dinner, um, you know, make a doctor's appointment and get there on time, you know, kind of handle, look, nobody's perfect, but can kind of handle the responsibilities of the average high school senior, um, without a lot from you, then probably college is the right choice. And so, you know, don't, again, what it all comes down to is your, your child and where she is right now. And it yeah. doesn't mean she won't be there in a year or two years. And the end goal, I think, too. You know, yeah. what does your child want to do if they right. want to become a welder? Mm-hmm. If they're interested in that, um, you know, a four-year university degree <laughs> that never touches on welding is right. pointless, useless, in my opinion. Yeah. And it costs a lot of money. Right. Um, yeah, so I think you really have to sit down and say, okay, what, you know, do some almost career planning mm-hmm. with your child and start early because I think that I know that when you start exploring different options when they're younger, it's so much easier for them to arrive at what they know is a good fit or not such a good fit, what Mm -hmm. they're really interested in when they're not. Like my son had talked about computer programming for a long time. He started taking um, a programming class in high school and very quickly, fortunately within the drop period, figured out that it was absolutely not the right fit for him Mm -hmm. and it was going to stress him to death. And so, you know, then he was like, okay, so I've learned already that this is not something that I'm really interested in. When they learn more about, I think, what that entails, what that looks like, um, you know, the, uh, the overarching idea, ooh, I could program a video game is really exciting, right? 
made. But when you start looking at what would life be like if this is what I did every day um, and what it really looks like to program, then he realized he really wasn't interested at all. And it beyond that, it just wasn't a good fit for him either. So, you know, starting that conversation very early is always going to be more helpful, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I'm just looking right now. So the government has a, a site called ONET Online, which is, I guess, short for occupational um, something, something. And um, they they have a page that's a little bit, oh, hands, what's going on? Um, not intuitive to me, uh, meaning that so there you can browse by interest, but honestly, as a learning specialist, the vocabulary they've used, I think, is a little challenging. So they've got areas of interest, realistic, investigative, artistic, social, enterprising, and conventional. And I wonder mm. how many teens are going to identify with those things. But they yeah. have something called My Next Move, and it's an interest profiler, and you fill out... Um, you know, a questionnaire and it suggests possible careers to you. And that might be That's a way cool. of just getting a kid who really doesn't know what he wants to do to start thinking about like, at the very least, what you don't want to do. I think it's easier yeah. almost to identify the things you're not yeah. interested in than the ones you are. Totally. Yeah. I mean, a lot of things we come at by elimination process. Yeah, elimination I think and that's exactly right. Yeah. And, you know, again, to your point that not everybody knows and most people don't know what they want to do when they're 18 or even 20. Um, I think it's par- part of that is because we haven't been exploring it. That's not really mm-hmm. the big conversation we have with our high school students in general. And it really should be, um, you know, that's such a powerful conversation to be having. It really preps them for, um, I think also, you know, a little bit for self-advocacy because they're looking at what works for me and what's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. Going through that process, that thought process and being able to guide themselves to more of their strengths and away more from what is a weakness for them, Mm -hmm. which is totally going to play into success later on. Right. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about college accommodations Mm because I think there are a lot of um, misnomers around that for kids with ADHD or learning disabilities. And so let's talk about the kid who is going. Maybe they're going right out of high school. Maybe they're really into it and they're prepared and they want to be there. Maybe they're going at 20 or Mm -hmm. even later than that. Um, What is available and how to, I think, to determine that. So you're going and you're looking at colleges. How do you find out what is available? What level of help is an accommodation is there and decide if it's the right fit? You know, which one is really the right fit taking everything into account? I mean, I think that that is a very individual decision too. So, I mean, you started by this question by saying something about that I really appreciate, which is that there's a lot of misunderstandings about college accommodations. So let me, and I appreciate with your, the size of your audience, the opportunity to say to people right now, whatever you've read, whatever you have heard, 
IEPs are not valid once your students graduate from high school and yep. 504 plans are not valid. The one from the high school stops being a legal document once your student graduates from high school. Now, I say that not to terrify people, but to try to set the framework for, for what you need to understand. Those are high school plans. Colleges are subject to 504, but we are subject to subpart E and not subpart D. And so while you're not going to go into subpart E and find wording that says you guys, you colleges don't have to write plans, what I'm telling you is we are not obligated to provide anything that is written into a student's high school plan, no matter what kind of plan it was. We are not following your student's plan. That said, on the positive side, very likely, depending upon what your student is using in high school, those the accommodations will be available and your student will be found eligible and they'll be found appropriate at the high right. school, at the college level. But if the fact that a student receives the same accommodations at college that were written into her 504 plan doesn't mean it's because the 504 plan is being followed. And that's a nitpicky point, but I think it is important for some kinds of students. Um, and frankly, your, your kids don't care about this. I think this is more important <laughs> for parents. Um, but the reason it is important is I, for those whose kids are getting accommodations or modifications, which are not typically available at college, don't go into it expecting that this is what we have to do. Right. Um, and, you know, I should mention here just because they don't they want, I've, I've introduced myself. I'm a consultant at Columbia and nothing that I say here um, is legal or medical advice. And they certainly don't want to be, um, you know, considered responsible for anything I say today. So I'm saying this as Elizabeth Hamlet with you know, almost 20 years of working in, in college disability services this is my third um, university. Um, wow. But uh, that um, it's not that expectation. And so we don't have to provide everything that the high school provided. And that is important to know. Um, and there are going to be accommodations that are not considered appropriate at the college level um, or, and that, that are not going to be available. And so don't expect to just go in there, you know, have your student walk in there with that plan and for things to be followed. And Penina, you and I were talking about this earlier today. Um, one of the things to me, I'm an, I'm an old English major and I'm very annoying in certain ways. Words mean stuff to me. <laughs> so yeah. to me, you know, the word plan is meaningful and it implies a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't happen at the college level. And on my, on my blog, I actually have a post about vocabulary and I break down a bunch of these points because to me, a plan means somebody's going to sit with your student as we talked, just talked about, figure out what the goal is and figure out the steps to get to the goal. We're going to incorporate other people into that planning. You know, the plans that you're used to in the high school where every year we pull together your kids, teachers and sit down and saying, how is Elizabeth doing? And what does she need to work on? Those are the kinds of things that plan implies and that don't happen at the college level. Um, I use this, you know, your kids are sort of independent um, contractors, if you will, or they're, you know, they're free agents in college. Uh, and if they want to talk to their professors, they can go to office hours. 
But disability services is not going to sit down, you know, arrange a meeting once a year where the professors come and sit down, which is, by the way, what your kids should be looking forward to, because I don't think it's their favorite part of their special experience. Yeah. Um, and, and it's important for them to know that, too. Um, we were talking earlier about um, the fact that uh, only 25 percent of students in this huge study who had had services for LD and ADHD. In high school, actually, of those who went to college, only 25% identified themselves to the disability services office. So letting your kids know that they're not going to have to sit through an annual meeting or a quarterly meeting with their professors might be an encouragement to register with us. I like to think of the bright side. Yeah, Um, yeah, for sure. But anyway, so to to try not to labor this too much, you just have to reset your expectations for what colleges are going to do. The law requires very little of us um, in the way of basic accommodations. And so they don't, nowhere in 504 subpart E or the ADA are you going to see this exhaustive list of like, here are all the accommodations you have to provide. Yeah. Um, You know, so some really easy basics, extended time for exams. Um, testing in what I would, we call in my place, like a reduced distraction, um, site. So not that you're going to be in a room by yourself because at a lot of schools, somebody has to watch you take that exam. Yes. Um, you know, there'll be a proctor, um, or just, you know, very rarely is, is it would, it, a lot of places would be a high bar to get even just to be in a room with a proctor by yourself without at least a few other students. We just don't have the manpower. Most of the places, um, permission to record your lectures or use your laptop um, to take notes. Um, the notion that professors are going to give students their notes. I mean, I can't imagine what most professors' notes must actually look like. If they uh, have many at all. Right, right. It's a great point, Penny. Maybe they just, you know, shoot from the hip. So yeah. there are different kinds of things. Um, professors to email students, you know, the assignment. Well, it's probably up in the course management system. Um, and so you're going to have to find that, you know, professors to provide clarification of the assignments. You know, these are things that I've seen people post in, in communities. Well, go to the office hours or email the professor if you need the clarification. But, you know, the main point is students are, are really their own advocates at this point. And if a lot of the accommodations are not going to involve other people at school doing things for your student. Um, one thing I do want to mention, since this is an LD and ADHD group, one very common accommodation at high school is deadline extensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in my blog, there's one um, disability services directors talked about the stuff they don't commonly approve that they get asked for. And that is actually not a common accommodation for LD and ADHD. Mm. Um, it's granted very specifically for students with um, medical and psychological difficulties um, where their conditions have these acute uh, periods where they are really incapable of functioning. But typically, it's not a blanket accommodation where they can assume every time there's a paper due, they get an extra week. Right. Um, you know, it has to be in the moment and there will be a deadline at some point. So I think it's really important too to point out that as a parent, you can't call the disability (laughs) services office and negotiate for your child. Um, You know, I can't call you and say, my child needs these accommodations. Our students have to do it for themselves. So those of you who have been doing a little research know what a FERPA releases or who have already have a child in college, Family Education Rights Privacy Act. 
um, which means that, you know, even if your kid's 17, if she's enrolled at college, she's considered a legal adult for this purpose. So mm-hmm. um, a FERPA release is not a, <laughs> I'm going to try and make a cute little phrase that's not going to work, but like a FERPA release <laughs> is not a FERPA obligation. And right. what I mean is just because your student has given us permission to talk to you also doesn't mean we are going to now provide you with weekly updates. Um, which, by the way, many of us won't have. You know, we're not yeah. responsible for reaching out to professors for kids register with our office every week to see how you're doing, or you know, or or to do so ever at all. Um, you know, we yeah, have which is, access to their grade books. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's very different from high school. Yeah, you know, when you have a special ed teacher in high school or a case manager in high school, you know, it's their job somewhat to check in with the student, make sure they're on task, figure out what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no one at the college level that's doing that. Correct. Unless the student comes to you in disability services and says, "I need help." can you help me? You know, what can we do? Um, And it's really hard to get a teen or young adult to even admit that they need help. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we need to be very clear, very realistic about what we're saying. You know, I see when I moderate online forums for ADHD, I see so many parents who are like, my kid went to this great school with disability services and they won't use it. Mm-hmm. Or they set oh, it yeah. up and then they never check in. Yeah. Or, you know, and they're so frustrated because their student is struggling mm-hmm. and they know that this could be a helpful thing for them, but they won't use it. And that's right. a really important thing. You know, our kids don't want to look different in that environment. Mm-hmm. They don't want to admit that they have struggles or challenges. They don't want to feel like they're broken or incapable. Sure. And I think at this teen, young adult age, that's magnified mm-hmm. for most of them. Sure. Absolutely. And I think too, you know, like, I don't know that there's a, a way to avoid the student who feels stigmatized, you know, from feeling stigmatized. I don't know what you do about that. Um, But I do think, you know, one of my pitches is, again, that whole um, free agent thing. Now, they do have to register with us in order to get accommodations. So hopefully... In the acceptance packet, it says something like, if you have special needs, you know, you can register with our office. Or if that's not true, hopefully we're at a table, you know, at the office resources fair when they come for freshman orientation. Um, If not, you can still find us online and get, you know, and I I really encourage registering right now for kids who are going in the fall if you haven't done so. If your kid is going to an orientation over the summer, if there's an intake meeting, he can have that, you know, he can try to arrange that while he's on campus or if not, or if you've already gone, you can do it by phone. Um, but one of the things I think, you know, for, for what I think that both sides of the coin, what terrifies parents is how little oversight there is of these students. And by mm-hmm. contrast, could be the sales pitch. Um, for your student. So we don't have in-class, you know, co-teachers like you might have had in high school who constantly come over and check and make sure your kid's on task. We're not doing that stuff. Um, Again, terrifies you, might be a selling point for your student. Um, (laughs) And so we want them to get engaged. I mean, I do think, you know, students... Yes, you probably are not going to be in the classroom when your class takes the exam if you're going to have exam accommodations. But, you know, one thing for them to keep in mind is their classmates have grown up like this. 
Um, and I don't know that they frankly think anything of it. Are there still jerks who are going to say something? Sure, but jerks exist everywhere um, in every part of our lives, and it shouldn't be enough for you to not utilize the services. Um, and going back to Penny, I think you said something really important. Um, I'm sure at colleges all over the country, every fall, there's a parent who contacts and I know an office like mine and says, Hey, I'm Elizabeth's mom. And I'm pretty worried she didn't register with you. I'm going to send in her paperwork. Can you, can I fill out this form for her? And our office is probably, or anybody's office is probably going to say, Hey, look, you know, feel free to send in the paperwork. We'll put it in a folder, but Elizabeth needs to contact us. You know, you can't do this for her. Um, and then you call me and you say, hey, I really want you to do this. Now, if they're having an intake appointment, um, my colleagues, many of them will be fine with the parent being there as long as it's okay with your student and will probably ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want your student to speak for herself. Um, and I recognize there are parents out there who are saying, but my kid has whole, her whole issue is a communication or a language-based disorder. And I get that. So. This is, you know, if it hasn't happened before, truly a launching point for self-advocacy. Um, and so what can you do? Well, you can prepare your student for um, that conversation. We don't care if she brings a crib sheet, you know, or notes. Right, right. Um, that's fine. And if you go to my website, to the page I have on there for my book, um, there's a free download of a, of a form that, um, from the book that you can use to prepare your student. And it asks her the kinds of questions we might ask you, like, when were you first diagnosed with your LD or ADHD? What are the accommodations you're using now? What are you asking us for? Um, and that is a great tool to use, even if your kid's in high school, just to find out what her level of self-knowledge is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really important. So that's something you can use, but we want to hear your student because if your student doesn't at least attempt to communicate her needs to us in that meeting, um, then we don't have a really accurate view of you know what she might need if you're doing all of the talking first. So yes. again, I don't want, you know, look, a lot of my colleagues are fine. As I said, you'll see stuff that says, no, parents can't do this and they can't go to meetings. And I don't think that's true either. Um, however, if your kid says, no, I don't want my mom here in this meeting, you probably can't be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, you know, when it's, it's not just advocating for accommodations yourself, mm-hmm. there's a lot of areas when kids turn 18 that we, the parent cannot jump in and mm-hmm. manage for them. You know, a lot of times with healthcare, if they have a mm-hmm. question for a doctor or something, they have to call. The doctor's not going to talk to the parent because they're now an adult and they have all of these um, confidentiality rules right. to follow. So it's good to prepare kids in general for that, not just you're going to have to go to disability services yourself and ask for what you need, but in general, they're going to have to start managing um, Mm -hmm. some day-to-day stuff too. And so doing some skill building and prep work in general for that is really important. Um, I just put up on my Facebook, my LD advisory Facebook page, I think within the last week, a great article from Attitude with all the experts, Kathleen Adone, Patricia Quinn, about things your kids should be able to do before they go to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look for me under LD as in Learning Disabilities Advisory on Facebook, you can find that hit or just email me and I'll send it to you. But um, 
It's, I think you're, you're so right. I mean, this is the thing about college. If you're, if you're talking about a traditional four-year residential, the self-management demands are, you know, intense. I ask my students all the time, you know, when they come in, how much sleep are you getting? Are you eating? I mean, I can't Mm -hmm. believe kids go around without eating. Yes. Um, you know, and, and just to, for me as, you know, as, as a learning specialist, just the mental break of sitting down with your friends and reconnecting, you know, not breakfast, not everybody's going to hit breakfast. Many of them are rolling out just in time for classes in the morning. Um, but taking a mental break from what you're doing, having something nourishing, um, you know, and being sort of off duty for a little while, but they, they don't do this stuff because they're so busy. I mean, it's it's a lot to prepare for, but I think the more we give them responsibility in high school, the more they're going to be ready. And what's so important to me as a, you know as a college person is their their feelings of confidence about their yeah. do this. If we are still doing everything for them, what worries me so much is that they're going to come thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm not ready for this. They haven't let me." Um, and I want to circle back. You said something so important, Penny, about help seeking. Um, and, you know, I hear tales from friends who do college advising of, you know, students who every day come home and sit down with a tutor. And, you know, somebody's there to answer every question for them. Or, you know, they don't do any homework if they're not sitting, you know, in the, in the learning center of their high school without somebody staring, you know, standing over them. Mm-hmm. And what worries me about that is, is, is help seeking is a skill. And, you know, you have to get to the point of realizing you don't understand what you just read in that chapter and, you know, kind of are be able to articulate your questions and figure out who is the right person to go talk to about this. And so yeah. if we over tutor them and we over support them and they never have to make a schedule for themselves, you know, and set a goal for like, I'm going to spend an hour doing this. And, oh gosh, it took me two hours because I was checking, you know, um, Instagram every five minutes, mm-hmm. then they're not going to know, you know, how to manage themselves. Or, you know, if, if somebody's always there asking, answering the questions, how, how are they going to go help see? Yeah. Yeah. And how are they going to figure out where and how exactly. to seek help? Exactly. Um, you know, one, one really, there's two things that I have learned about college since my daughter um, started college two years ago that I find exciting for different learners. Mm-hmm. One of which is that a lot of professors are using something like Blackboard or some sort of app where they're putting at least due dates in, and then you can set the app to remind you. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's more stuff online for kids who really struggle with executive functioning. I think that can be really helpful. Um, And I've totally forgotten the second one. (laughs) (laughs) I know, working memory. It's one of my my downfalls too. Um, Fiber brain. Yeah. Oh, I can't. We were talking about um, what's what's help seeking and um, oh, free tutoring. Yeah, so (laughs) a lot of schools now have free tutoring as part of the tuition that you're paying. Right. And and again, this is a thing where you know it's kind of hard for a lot of kids that age to say, 
I need help (laughs) and I'm going to go get it, but it's there. And so, you know, if you have a student where maybe there's one, you know, the the four-year traditional university was right for them, that's what they want to do, but there might be one subject that is required for at least one class, but they're really not good at it. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a possibility. They can get all the help they need just from a tutoring aspect as well in a lot of schools. You know, it's certainly something to ask and see if it's available. Um, right. I mean, you had asked me about how do we, you know, how do students find the good fit? And one of the things to look at is, you know, what kinds of tutoring is available? Um, one thing to keep in mind is colleges are not required to have somebody like me. I've got a background in special ed working with students registered with disability services. And many don't, they just don't have somebody like me or, you know, they're only available through a fee for service program. Like, you know, the very well-known salt center at university of Arizona here in New Jersey, we have fairly Dickinson university, um, which has a very well-established fee for service only program. So, you know, another reason why your kids, Kids need to be developing their own studies habits, you know, and not just be getting directed all the time by by um, by tutors and helpers. Is that they may not have access to somebody like me to explain this stuff to them, mm-hmm. and so getting used to that before they come. Now, there I, I see more schools hiring people they call academic coaches. Um, there, it, it's not like K through twelve. There's no requirement for certification like in a public school district for who can have those jobs. Um, so it doesn't mean that they wouldn't do a good job, whatever their background is. But um, like I know UMass, when I was doing a presentation in Boston, now kids who register with them can get six months of working with an LD specialist for free. And these are the kinds of things you can look for. Um, A lot of schools have writing centers, um, math help rooms. Mm -hmm. Um, All that tutoring is typically provided by upperclassmen. It's not professional tutors, whatever those actually are. Um, Just somebody else doing well in the subject your kid is studying. And I think that's totally fine. And maybe it feels more accessible or um, more doable when it's a peer rather than um, an adult that they think might not get them. Right. Again, this is one of those like good, good, good side, bad side. I think for students, what you just said is exactly right. It's probably much more comfortable um, meeting with somebody than, you know, somebody my age, but um, uh, for parents, again, it's just important to have an expectation. Unlike special ed, we don't have to have specialists to work with your kids. We just have to provide the accommodations that we discuss. Yes, so important yeah. to, to understand that and prepare our kids, you know, start having those conversations, start making a plan. Okay, if you, um, you know, are really struggling in math, what are you going to do? Right. You know, we, we have a lot of anxiety in our family and household, myself included, and making a plan ahead of time for mm-hmm. the what ifs is mm-hmm. so, um, so powerful. It can really, because when you're, when you're in the midst of anxiety, mm-hmm. it can really throw off your cognitive thinking and those planning skills sure. and even having access to that part of your brain. And so when you've made a plan ahead of time for if this happens, this is what I can do and, it, and it's going to be okay, then it's much easier to take some action. 
Um, so, you know, I'm a big proponent of making plans for all sorts of things that might happen. And, and a lot of kids with ADHD are concrete thinkers. Mm-hmm. So having that, if this happens, then you do this mm. is, is, um, it's kind of emotionally supportive too. You know, they have these concrete things that they can fall back on. Right. I think that's such a good point. Um, you know, making a plan ahead of time um, definitely can hopefully reduce the anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about this for days. I'm sure yeah. there's so much to it, but I think we've given a really good overview of what parents need to be thinking about and aware of mm-hmm. um, for their students, um, especially those who are in high school and how to make this transition in one way or another and and knowing that it doesn't have to be a four-year traditional university in order for your child to be a successful adult. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, such a great conversation. I appreciate having you here and sharing your insights and your wisdom. For everyone listening, this is episode number 65. So for links to everything that we've talked about and mentioned and the show notes for this episode, go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash 065. And everything that we've discussed will have easy links there for you to take advantage of of these um, other bits of information that are going to be valuable to you as well. So again, I thank you for being here and helping out other parents of kids with ADHD and learning challenges. And with that, we will end this episode. I'll see everyone next time. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast. If you connected with this episode, please share it on social media. Be sure to visit parentingadhdandautism.com to join the conversation and take advantage of Penny's online courses and summits, retreats, parent coaching, and fantastic bonus content.